I wanted, I want to just say as we start, I bring you greetings from Herb and Kim Burkett. They are our missionaries to Ukraine. Um, uh, <clears throat> 20 years ago, Herb worked for the state of Michigan. They were a part of the North Point body, and uh, God called them, literally, to the mission field, and they're doing incredibly tremendous work. They're respected by the missionaries, they're respected by the Ukrainians, and uh, we need to pray for them, because uh, they're, they're doing big stuff. A uh, couple, couple of things, the, the last slide that was uh, up in the video is uh, actually the symbol for the church that we have helped plant. The church is only about four months old. It meets in the center of the city of Lviv. Um, the building that you actually see there is the town hall in Lviv. It was built in about 1850. It was built in the Viennese architectural style. And the, uh, what Herb told us was the people in Lviv don't really like it because it's Austria. It's, uh, um, you know, it's, it's architecture from Austria. But it has become a symbol for the city that the city is for the world. That they say Lviv is the city of the world. And the church has taken that logo to say, you know what? We're a church for the world. Um, only 3% of the Ukrainian population are evangelical Christians, people who believe the Bible, who have a relationship with Jesus and are following him. 3%. That's incredibly small. And yet the thing that we learned was that that 3% actually dwarfs the percentage of believers in all the other um, Eastern Europe and uh, Western Asia countries. So Ukraine is actually a very strategic country that's, that God is using to reach out to the rest of the world because Ukrainians can go places American missionaries can't. Uh, they can go into Tajikistan and, and uh, Kazakhstan and all kinds of places. And the crazy thing about Ukrainians, they speak Russian, they speak Ukrainian, they speak English, they speak German. Some of them speak all of those languages and more. And so they have the ability to go places without the barriers that we have because we're Americans and we speak one language. And, and, uh, and that's it. It, it was uh, just very, very cool to be a part of that. Um, be sure and, and pray for Herb and Kim. Uh, Beginning this year, in 2018, we started, the, we started the year with a series called What Matters that was about the foundational truths, the, the building blocks for us as a church. These were the, the big rocks, the majors that we have as a church. Out of that series, this Ask Alexa series was kind of birthed because while there are things that we say, you know what, these are key things that we absolutely believe, there are lots and lots of other things that people have questions about. Um, uh, people uh, have different opinions on. And so we, th we thought it would be great to not ask Alexa, but to work off one of those foundational truths that's at the core of North Point. And that's that the Bible is our source for all of our answers. So we, this whole series has been designed to say, okay, not what's Alexa say, but what does the Bible say about particular issues or topics? Today I want to take a look at a subject to see what the Bible says about it. This particular subject sometimes makes people in church squirm, sometimes it makes people defensive, sometimes it makes people in church really angry. And for people who aren't a part of the church, when they hear church people talk about this particular uh, topic, they go, are you kidding? That's absolutely crazy. And to be real honest, this particular topic makes lots of preachers really scared to preach about. I'm actually kind of excited today to talk about this particular topic because who you ask shapes the answers. 
And, and uh, I think what we're going to do today is look at what Scripture says rather than what Rick says. And when we do, I think it's actually pretty exciting. Uh, we're going to talk about, <clears throat> what we're going to talk about is one aspect of what I would call stewardship of life. God calls us to be stewards of every aspect of our lives, of all that we have, all that we are, everything that we are comes from God. God is the one who gives that all to us. And so we're to be stewards of life. We're to be stewards of, of the resources that God gives us, the time, the treasure, and the talent that he gives us. God provides that for us. We need to take care of those things. He's the one who gave them to us. But there's this crazy word in the conversation when we're talking about stewardship of life that you only hear in church circles. It's the word tithe. Uh, you don't, you know, you don't hear that at the office. You don't hear it on the golf course. You don't hear it at the beach. You don't hear it at the university. You don't hear it on the football field. Only in church do you hear the word tithe. And usually when you say it, all of a sudden it gets really quiet. And people get really, really sensitive. What's it mean? And what's the big deal about tithing? And the, and the, probably the most important question is, is it relevant for us as followers of Jesus? The word tithe is actually a transliteration of the Hebrew word for tenth. So in the Bible, when it talks about tithes, it ta- it's talking about people giving a tenth of what they have. Back to God. So if you had a cake and you were going to cut it into 10 pieces, incidentally, that would be a really hard thing to do. Go home and try that to cut a cake into 10 pieces. If you were to cut it in 10 pieces and to take one piece out and put it on a plate, that would be a tithe of the cake. It's one-tenth of what we have. If you're going to tithe your income, we're not talking about just a proportionate amount. We're talking about a tenth of what God has given to you in income. Where does that concept come from? Where, where did that come from? It actually comes from all the way back at the beginning of the Bible. If you've got your Bibles out, um, if you've got the app open, take a look. We're going to just buzz through some scriptures. Um, because tithing was modeled in scripture first by Abraham and then later by his grandson Jacob. Tithing was modeled by Abraham and Jacob. In Genesis 14, there's, there's this incident that takes place where these kings go to war, they go to battle with each other, and in the midst of the battle, they actually uh, capture Lot and his family and his belongings. They take them prisoners, and they, they carry them off along with all the spoils of war. Abraham finds out about it, and so he gathers all his guys, all of his servants, everybody, 300-something guys, and they go and they attack the king, and God gives Abraham the victory. So Abraham brings back Lot, he brings back all the servants, he brings back all the spoils of the war, and as he's heading on his way back home, he encounters this guy named Melchizedek, who Scripture calls the King of Salem. He's recognized as a priest of the Most High God. And Melchizedek blesses Abraham, and Abraham, in response to that blessing, gives to Melchizedek a tithe of everything that came to him as the spoils of war. So he gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything that he walked away with and said, you know what, this is for God. That's the first picture of tithing in Scripture. That's different than the sacrifice kind of thing. It's different than the sacrifices that Cain and Abel made. It's different than the sacrifices that were there. It was a gift of a tithe back to God. If you, if you uh, fast forward and go to Genesis 28, 
Abraham's grandson, Jacob. If you know the story, uh, it's, a, it's kind of a weird one. Um, Abraham's son is Isaac. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau's the oldest one. He's supposed to get the blessing. But Jacob deceives his dad and deceives his brother and steals the blessing from him. When that happens, Jacob knows that everything's going to go crazy. And so he takes off and runs away. And when, when he is fleeing his homeland, he uh, goes to a place. He goes to sleep that night. He puts his head on a rock. And while he's sleeping, he dreams. And he dreams about this ladder that goes from earth all the way up into heaven. And on this ladder, angels are going back and forth. It's Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. That's where that comes from, okay? Uh, everybody, we need a campfire, right? Uh, so, uh, so Jacob has this dream, and in the dream, God says to him, Jacob, understand that the promise I gave your grandfather is the promise I'm giving you. Out of your seed, out of your lineage, I'm going to bless everybody. Your descendants are going to be so numerous. They're like the sands of the sea, the stars in the sky. We've got this thing going on. And in Genesis 28, verse 16, it says this. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? And it wasn't like awesome, like, oh, this is incredibly cool. It was awesome, like scary how awesome is this place? There is none other, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, if he'll watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that God gives me, I will give him a tenth. Tithing was modeled in the Old Testament by Abraham by Jacob, but it wasn't just modeled, it was actually commanded in the Jewish law by Moses. Leviticus 27 says this, and this is a part of the Jewish law. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, it will be holy to the Lord. Deuteronomy, again, a part of the Mosaic law, the law for the Jews given by God. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. There was a model there in the Old Testament. There also was the command from God to say to the Jewish people, you're my people, you're going to tithe, you're going to give back to me the first tenth of everything that you have. So you're, you're probably saying, well, wait a second, what about the New Testament? What's the New Testament say? In the New Testament, there's never a command to tithe. As a matter of fact, when Jesus talks about tithing in the New Testament, it's actually in a negative context. He, he um, chastises, he challenges the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and, and says to them, man, you got it all messed up because you tithe on the most tiny things. You tithe on the herbs that you grow in your garden, the mint and the cumin. You squish them up and then you divide out a little tenth and you give it to the priest. You tithe on those little things but you've missed the boat completely. You don't care about mercy. You don't care about forgiveness. You don't care about justice. You've put all your attention on the tithe and you've missed the, the weightier matters of the law. 
That's what Jesus said in the New Testament. But it's interesting when you think contextually, every follower of Jesus and Jesus was a Jew when the church first started in the first century. All of those Jews, a normal part of their expression of worship to God would have been for them to tithe. It would have just been an accepted part of what they did because it was a part of the law of Moses. Tithing would have been common for them. It would have been the norm. So if that's the case, we've got in the Old Testament this this uh, example. We've got in the Old Testament this law. We've got Jesus saying, man, don't get it missed, messed up, but recognizing that tithing would have been a part of the lives of the, of the first followers of Jesus. How do we make sense of what what we're to do with tithing, with what the Bible teaches about tithing. I want to give you six principles that for me, uh, these are kind of birthed out of my study, birthed out of my life, and, and I, I want to give them to you because I think that this is a really important thing for us. First, the first principle is this. When we tithe, tithing reminds us that everything we have, everything that we have comes from God. Everything we have comes from God. Uh, back to Abraham, when Abraham is ready to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar, and God says, no, wait, wait, don't do that. God provides a ram for the sacrifice. And Abraham at that point says, God, your name is Jehovah Jireh. You're the God who provides. Everything we have comes from God. If you think, uh, it's easy for us as Americans to think this way, but if, if you think, you know what, uh, you know what, I know everything comes from God, but it's really me that makes it happen. I'm in control of my, my income. I'm in control of all that stuff. If that's what you think, think for a second about what happens when you walk in on Monday morning and you get fired and lose your job. And then you go in this process of, of trying to find a job and you can't. Think about what happens if you're a salesman and all of a sudden your supplier goes belly up and they can't provide the product that you've been trying to sell and it's gone. Think about what happens if you're a farmer and you're just ready to harvest the crops and a horrible storm comes in and wipes everything out. We think that we're in control, but we're not. We're not. Let me, let me tell you, we're not. I know that lesson well. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi and said, My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. If you look at that book of Philippians, that letter that Paul writes to that church, right before that he says, You know what? I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. Whether I have a little or whether I have a lot, I'm okay with that. Because my God will supply all my needs according to his riches in, in uh, Christ Jesus. Tithing reminds us everything we have from God. Second principle is this. When we tithe, that reprioritizes our spending. Because when we tithe, we give the first 10% to God. Not what's left over. We give the first 10% to God. When we do that, all of a sudden, it changes what kind of house we look for when we're buying a house. It changes what kind of car we buy because we don't have uh, that same amount of money to fit into our budget. When we tithe, it reprioritizes how we spend our money. Um, in the in the Old Testament, there's there's this phrase that's kind of interesting called first fruits. Um, what, what that what that 
phrase described was that for the Jews, the very first part of their harvest were given, was given back to God. It was the first fruits of their harvest um, that they gave to God first. And when they did that, everything else began to fall into place. Third principle was this. Tithing enables God's kingdom to have resources to be able to advance. When we give, when we give back to God that tithe, all of a sudden there is more money than, than we know what to do with available for God's kingdom to go forward. If everyone who came to North Point tithed, we would probably, I don't know, triple, quadruple, quintuple our budget because there would be this vast amount of resources that would allow us to impact the kingdom here in mid-Michigan and around the world in a way that we, that we can't right now just simply by the limited resources that are there. Um, when, when we tithe, it allows us to have the resources that are needed to take care of the staff here at North Point. It allows us to, to help missionaries that we couldn't in, uh, do otherwise. It empowers us as a church to have a presence in this community that we wouldn't have if people don't tithe in the same way. Not very many of us can write a check for $10,000 today and just say, you know what, I want, to do this. I want us to be able to do this particular thing in the, in the community. Here's a check for $10,000. Not very many of us can do that. Not very many of us can pack 10,000 meals to help feed hungry people in mid-Michigan. But when we give, when we tithe, we can do both those things in a heartbeat because tithing provides the resources to be able to do that. We can do that. We've done that for the last several years, multiple times over. Fourth principle is this. Tithing demonstrates trust in the church leadership. In the Old Testament, when the Jews tithe, the, the, the money that they gave, the, the, um, the first fruits of their offering, their harvest, the, their, the animals that they tithe went directly to the Levitical priests, the, the people who were in charge of the spiritual welfare of a nation. It went to them directly. Um, in, in the New Testament, um, again, I, I, you know, tithing is not described, but giving is described in the New Testament in some pretty incredible ways. There's actually a, a really cool passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 4 that describes the life of the church. It says this in Acts 4, beginning in verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales and they put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, of whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, um, I know for us as Americans, again, this concept that when we tithe, it expresses trust in the church leadership, that it's, it's, a, it's a struggle for us because we say, I want to be able to give where I want to give. 
And so, you know what? I'm going to tithe, but I'm going to, I'm going to take a part of that tithe and I'm going to take care of my grandma. She, she has needs. I'm going to, with part of my tithe, I'm going to send that money to the Burkats directly. I'm going to take part of my tithe and, and send that to, to Laminda and Denise in Sri Lanka. I'm going to take part of my tithe and I'm going to send it directly to the Chanteurs. I'm going to make those decisions because that's my tithe and that's what I'm going to, I'm going to do what I want with it. Um, let me just tell you that that's not the model that was there. When people gave over and above, when they gave offerings, that was directed to, to whatever it was God called them to do. But their tithe, the model that's there in Scripture is that their tithe came in to the local church. This, this is a big deal for me. It, um, it's a personal issue, not because of North Point at all, but because the first church I served at uh, about uh, 37 years ago went through a time of tremendous struggle. Um, the, the, the stuff happened. There was lots of division. It was a really bad situation. And lots of people that I respected, lots of people that I loved said, you know what? This is my church. And I don't like what's going on. So I'm taking my money and I'm going to put it where I want. And they stopped giving to the church completely. And the offerings of the church went down and down and down because their example impacted lots of other people and other people began to do it. 35 years later, that church that was once a bright beacon of the gospel still struggles. Now, is it because a whole bunch of people said, I'm keeping my money and I'm doing what I want with it? I, I don't know that it's tied to that directly. But I, but I know this, when we tithe, when we say, God, everything I have comes from you and I'm giving it back to the church and I'm going to trust the church to use it wisely, that that's an expression of church, uh, uh, expression of trust that God uses. It's why um, that expression of trust is, um, is, that's important to us as leaders. We want to be transparent with how money's being spent, where it's going. That's why we do the stuff with the budget, all that kind of stuff. But tithing expresses trust in the church leadership. Fifth thing is this. Tithing both shapes and reflects our hearts. There's a member of our finance team that says to me over and over and over again, Rick, you got to preach about tithing. you got to preach about tithing. you got to preach about tithing because it is so cool to tithe. I get blessed so incredibly because of my giving, because I tithe. Um, tithing shapes our hearts. When God provides for us, it changes the way that we think. It changes the way that we feel about his kingdom as we give back to him what he has given to us. So it shapes and it also reflects our hearts. When we look and say, God, man, you have blessed me so incredibly. Over and over again, you take care of my needs here and here and here and here. My only response is to just trust you more and more and more to give back to you. That's, that's this principle. Tithing shapes, our, shapes and reflects our hearts. It brings joy, not a burden. It brings peace, not anxiety. It's, um, it's a response of love, not a requirement. Uh, again, I share this out of my own personal experience. That, um, I, I learned to tithe when I was r- real young. When Deb and I first got married, we tithed through the process. There have been a couple of times in our married life when we haven't tithed. And, um, and the, and the, Reasons behind that were really twofold. One was, uh, frankly, I didn't trust God. I looked at our budget and what we owed and what we needed, and I looked at what we had and said, there's no way that that can fit, and so I'm going to not give the tithe, and I'm going to trust myself. The, uh, the other factor in that was that there were some times that I said, you know what, frankly, 
I've got this money and I want to be able to do this. I want to spend this on me. And I didn't tithe. And um, let me just tell you from personal experience, neither of those worked out very well. All right? It did not accomplish what I thought it would accomplish because God is the one who provides for us. Tithing shapes and reflects our heart. Jesus said, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Sixth principle is this. Tithing is the beginning of a life of generosity, not the finish line. Tithing is where we start and we give uh, over and above that. Scripture talks about tithes and offerings that we, that we give and trust God in more and greater ways all the times. Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth. He said, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God dealt with the nation of Israel and on this issue of tithing very directly through the prophet Malachi. Let me just read from Malachi chapter 3. God said to Malachi, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? God says, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? God says, but you ask, how are we robbing you? And God responds, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. And the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all of the nations will call you blessed, for, you, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. God said, you know what? If you don't believe it, just try it. Test me in this and see if I don't take care of everything that you need. Um, it may be that, that today you're saying, ah, man, I've never thought about this. This is crazy to think about tithing to the church. How do I do that? How do I, how do I even start? Um, let me just say this. The first place to start is have a conversation with your spouse and make sure that you're on the same page, okay? Because uh, it's going to be bad if that's not happening. And then just ask a whole bunch of questions. Is this what God wants, wants us to do? Is this part of what it means to follow Jesus, to be changed by Jesus, uh, to be committed to the mission of Jesus. Ask yourself the question, are we ready to trust God in this adventure and to really go on an adventure together? And, and then ask, you know, how do I rearrange my priorities in order to make this happen? Start with giving to God first and then go through the process of figuring it out. Uh, um, take an inventory of what you owe, paying off your debt, live more simply, live based on need, not on want. 
eat at home rather than eating out, extend the life of the stuff that you have rather than buying new, and take Financial Peace University when we, when we offer it or, or through another place. It's a great tool to help you go through that process. Well, uh, what do you do if your spouse is not on board? I would encourage you to tithe with whatever money you, you have um, control of. Uh, we had a friend a long time ago that um, husband wasn't a, a believer in Jesus at all, and she said, you know what, I think that we need to tithe. And her husband just laughed her off the face of the earth. He said, there's no way we're giving that much money to church. We're not doing it. And she said, okay, okay. Um, but he gave her an allowance every month to take care of all of their household expenses, to buy their groceries, to buy clothes for the kids for school, all that stuff. And she made the decision to say, you know what, I don't, I don't have the whole pie, but I've got this piece of the pie. And on this piece of the pie that I have, that I have control of, I'm, I'm going to tithe. She did, and, and God blessed her. I mean, she would talk about the ways that God provided for her and her kids because she was faithful as she gave. Um, let me just take a second. This doesn't, this doesn't uh, relate to, to uh, tithing, but it fits kind of in this, in this whole idea of giving. Um, I'm, I'm jazzed about sharing with you today that in nine months, we're going to do a special offering here at North Point. On, on May 5th, 2019, we're going to do a special offering. I want you to pray about it. I want you to think about it. I want you to prepare for it. The, the goal of that offering is $750,000. That's three-quarters of our annual budget. Why are we going to do that special offering on May 5th? Because if we're able to meet that goal, we'll be able to eliminate the debt that we have on this building, and it will free up $11,600 every month for ministry. Our goal is not, is not so we can say, oh, good for us. It's so that, the, so that God's kingdom can go forward here in mid-Michigan and around the world in a way that it can't right now because of the interest payments that, that we're making on this particular building. Um, uh, $750,000 is a ton of money. We've never done anything like that before. How do you get there? How, how do we get to that spot? You know what? If every family who gives at North Point was able to give a gift of $3,000, that would be more than enough to cover the $750,000. Some of you can give lots more than that. Some of you can give $10,000 or $50,000 or $100,000. And I would encourage you to pray and ask God for what that might be. Our, our hope in that special offering and the, the finance team's on board, elders are on board on this. We've got lots of time. I, I, I just, just say, God, what would you have me do so that your kingdom can move forward in a greater way in this place and around the world. Some of you are saying, you know what? I, I don't think I've given $3,000 in a whole year to the church ever. How do I get there? I, I would say this. Start with, the, start with this tithing adventure. Start there. But think ahead about wh- what you might be able to give on May 5th. Maybe you'll get a bonus from work. Maybe you'll get a new job. Maybe, you'll, maybe there'll be some increase and, and you can do it that way. Maybe the thing you need to do is have a yard sale every month for the next nine months uh, and set that money aside to get there. But, uh, but I think God's going to do something incredible. And, and, and my heart, man, my heart is, I just think $11,000 a month, $135,000 a year for the kingdom that we can free up. Um, may God help us do that. Uh, you may be sitting the, the right now and saying, uh, okay, Rick, uh, where's, where is Jesus in this message? 
Um, what, what does tithing have to do with being in a right relationship with him? You, you may be saying, he, you know what, he's not anywhere in this. And tithing doesn't have anything to do with being his disciple. Um, you know, there may be a sense in which you're right. No one can tell you what to do with your money. Ultimately, you decide. But there are two questions that I really want you to wrestle with, and I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to study the scriptures. I want you to pray as you search for the answer to these two questions. First question is this. Whose money is it? Whose money is it? Second question is this. If being a disciple of Jesus is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and being committed to the mission of Jesus, does tithing help me accomplish that? This past week, I received a picture from my next-door neighbor when I was growing up. Um, The picture is of a man who I was told um, tithed all of his life, even before he had a relationship with Jesus. By the time he was 65, he had, he had been fired from jobs. He had been through a whole bunch of jobs. He was down to his last $105. But at age 65, he began to sell an idea that we recognize now with three simple letters. K-F-C. Here's a picture of that man in my neighbor's living room. This picture was taken in 1969. The the girl that's uh, beside Colonel Saunders is my younger sister. The little boy is my neighbor's little brother. The colonel was my neighbor's great uncle. Why Why do I show you that picture? Because from the time Harlan Sanders was a young kid making $4 a week, he tithed. His parents taught him to tithe. When he sold Kentucky Fried Chicken for $2 million in 1964, he tithed. But he realized that wasn't the way to have a relationship with Jesus. It wasn't until he was 79, five years after he had sold Kentucky Fried Chicken, that he came to a life-changing faith in Jesus. At that point, his giving to the church and to God's kingdom expanded even more. It wasn't the means to a relationship with Jesus. It was the natural result of a relationship with Jesus. My prayer for you this morning is that that would be true for you as well. That you'll take significant steps in your giving and that you'll decide today to try the tithe. Not as a means to a relationship with Jesus, but as the natural result of your relationship with Jesus and what God has done for you. Let's pray. God, this is hard for us. It's hard because in the culture that we live in, we really, um, we really think that we own it all, that we have it, that it's ours, that it comes from us. We tend to limit your place in our material stuff. God, I ask that your word would take root. God, that we would search your word for truth on this and that you'd guide us. Um, Lord, our desire is not just that we'd tithe, but that we would reflect the generosity that you have shown to us, a lavishness that uh, extends into all areas of our lives. God, my prayer is that as a church that we might be freed 
to do ministry in ways that we can't do it right now. That, that, that there would, uh, like in the Old Testament, that so much would come that we would just have to say, stop. Stop giving. Because, because we have more than we know what to do with. God, we want to be a beacon of light in this place. We want to help struggling churches. We want, we want to live in this place in a way that draws attention to you and that changes destinies for people. Help us to do that, God, and let it start with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.